and welcome once again to A Novel Evening. As ever, I'm Danny. <laughs> you can find me over on Instagram as at A Novel Evening Podcast and the same over on TikTok. Hello again. Welcome. Um, as we're recording, autumn is finally truly here after that weird Indian summer that we had for like three days. Um, it is chilly uh, and it's the perfect time to get cosy. Now, for some of us, that means settling in with a creepy read. For some of us, who want some good fantasy. But for some people, that means getting under the blankets, lighting some candles and getting down to some good romance. And tonight's author, Sarah Manning, with her newest novel, Man of Her Dreams... If you're a romance fan, this is the one for you. Uh, Look, sometimes you just need a damn good romance. And I honestly think these cold nights are the times to get a little warm under the covers. Um, I cannot wait to welcome Sarah onto the podcast, ask her all about her novel, find out her inspirations and see what she's going to bring to her novel evening. So a massive hello to Sarah. Hello. Hello, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. I know listeners can't see, but I'm admiring your incredible bookshelves that are behind you because they're quite a sight to behold. They actually go the whole kind of length of the room. So when I moved here, I actually took the biggest bedroom and made it like my office. And I got a posh lady carpenter to come in and make me like bespoke shelving so oh. but I've run out of space. What you can't see is the, the bookcases in other rooms and piles yeah. of books. <laughs> we've we've yeah, all got that. Space, yeah. <laughs> you can have the biggest bookshelves in the world. You will still need more space. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I am so jealous. I'm just staring at them in pure jealousy because they're gorgeous. Thank you. I don't and think I would have bespoke shelving done anymore. <laughs> that's that is the dream, isn't it? That's what yeah. everybody needs, I think. And they're proper. You do you know you almost need one of those, you know, the ladders that go round. Oh my god! I, yes, like in Funny Face and Audrey Hepburn. Yes, that scene where she goes sort of like gliding by on on the ladder. That's always been my dream. I want to have high enough know. ceilings that I require a ladder. That will never happen. <laughs> I live in a 50s council house. They were not built for... <laughs> but <laughs> someday... those kind of rolling ladders. Yeah, that's all you'll need. Now, look, you've come to talk to me about your latest novel. So first and foremost for listeners, let's dive in and go into what your book's about. Tell us all about The Man of Her Dreams. Right. Well, The Man of Her Dreams is about a woman called Esme who is kind of unlucky in love and she's been quite badly bruised in the past but she has this amazing rich inner life as so many of us do and no man that she meets in real life can compare to sort of like her fantasy boyfriends um one of you know and this is like a fantasy boyfriend that she's lived with in her head for many years and she has a very kind of detailed idea of who he is and what he looks like and then one day he he suddenly appears in real life, or does he? So that's Ooh. kind of basic pitch, yeah. Okay, okay. And I'm someone who has a constant internal dialogue. I, I'm a big fan of make-believe in my head, so I can relate to Esme. And I have my own little Esme, so I'm always very partial to an Esme in a story, it's first and foremost. It's such a great name, isn't it? I, I love it, yeah. <laughs> that was my name picked out. <laughs> For ages as well. So as soon as I see an Esme, I'm already like sold. But I am a big fan of someone who's a little bit of a fantasist because I can relate. 
I mean, when I was a kid, I was just always being told off for like living in a dream world. I actually got the sack from a Saturday job once for just daydreaming. And it was always sort of presented as a bad thing. But now, mm. obviously, I'm kind of grown up. And I just think that was the start of me being a writer of just yeah. these really sort of detailed like worlds and sort of um, stories in my head. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think especially, you know, I have two children in this day and age. I think imagination is is not promoted as much. Everything's technology. They're all into their like games and they, their shows yeah. and in a different way, you know, probably even more so for yourself than me. But imagination was a huge part of games because what else did you have? I think also there's just something to be said for boredom. There yeah. was just... I just remember yes. like those long summer holidays and things. And, you know, there was like a few things on telly in the morning, but the, the days just stretched out in front of you. And yeah, we would, you know, we would just play these sort of made up games. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of think it's a bit sad that that's that, that ability maybe to just sort of immerse yourself at a young age in sort of different worlds is kind of, gone because there's always something on telly yeah a lot of my friends have kids who are just obsessed with things like Fortnite yeah Um, Minecraft yeah yeah. I'm suffering that currently (laughs) yeah but I am quite you know I love to write as well and I think that's where I really push for like imaginative games and making things up and I was very similar to you I was quite often told you know you live in a fantasy world get out of your head and stop daydreaming and actually there's something amazing even when you've got characters in books who live in their daydreams there's something beautiful about it yeah I mean it's like sometimes occasionally on Twitter there would be a debate where somebody would actually say I don't understand what you mean by an inner voice. And I was like, whoa, you mean some people yes. don't have like an inner voice? And then it was some people like, just walk around with silence. I mean, I just don't understand that. And then I was like, it's not just an inner voice. At any one time, I've got three very detailed kind of concurrent fantasies going on, plus like loads of book ideas that I'm sort yeah. of mulling and things. Oh, if people had a camera in my house when I'm alone and heard me just chattering away to myself, they think I was insane. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly People can see it. Exactly the same. It's nice to meet a fellow daydreamer. Yeah, we need more absolutely. of us. I feel like we're a bit of a kind of endangered species. <laughs> we are. That's what technology is going to wipe out the daydreamer. Yeah, I mean, especially with sort of things like AI. I think that is actually though why sort of the imagination will always prevail because yeah. AI can do sort of like a facsimile of that but what makes great art whether it's kind of you know a book or a tv series or a painting is just kind of like that emotion and that experience that comes and sort of inspires it yeah I completely agree with that I'm a film student as well so there's been a very big debate about using AI for scripts and using it for and I agree that I think it can't capture the humanity it can't capture that and the, the really sort of special, you know, books and films that I sort of love, you know, my response to them, why I love them so much, is just sort of, sort of so emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll and <laughs> you've written many books. This is not your first rodeo. Not Do you still get that rodeo. same excitement when your books are coming out as you did from book one? How does it feel now? 
it's not about the book coming out the excitement I get and I'm kind of right there at the moment because I'm working on a a first draft it is just when you know this world that's kind of been percolating in my head this story for about six months I finally have a chance to actually put it down on the page and it is all that I think about it's just utterly consuming um you know and I'm sort of there at, at the moment I'm just so kind of obsessed with what I'm doing and the way that I write I always just see it kind of in my head like a little film and I'm just coming to sort of a really pivotal few scenes that were like the first scenes that I imagined when sort of you know the idea was kind of coalescing and just when the writing is going sort of really well and I'm very lucky that I live on my own I don't have I can just completely be very sort of selfish and sort of write when I want sort of how I want there's just sort of nothing like it. I was like, I've got to go to the doctor's tomorrow for a blood test. I'm like, I'm just furious. How dare yeah. you make me have a blood test? And I just want to stay at home and write. So I really, when the writing's going well, that's the bit that I love the most. And the way that I just see it is that um, publishing is what happens in between me writing yeah. books. Because also as a writer, the writing is the only bit of the process that I have real control over. Yeah. So I have a fantastic publishing team, but, you know, I can't publish a book. I'm So this is the bit where I sort of get to make something as beautiful as I can and then sort of just push it out into the, the world and sort of hope that it finds its readers. That's beautiful as well. I really love the way you've explained that because I think for a lot of people you know, they see publishing as the goal, right? Publishing is the the thing. Whereas like when writing, if you love writing, writing's the goal, right? That's, it's just getting your thoughts out into the world, you know, writing your yeah. ideas. I mean, if I'd had like, you know, many bestsellers and I was kind of like, you know, it might be different, but I am very much kind of like a mid-list writer. You know, I'm, I'm not sort of, I don't win awards. I don't kind of make the Sunday Times bestseller list. Um, you know, and publishing is a bit of a sort of merry-go-round, and it's mm. you know, have selling books can be dependent on so many things. So again, you know, all I all I can do is just tell the best story that I'm capable of, of yeah. telling at that time. I think sometimes, you know, people do sort of have different sort of goals yeah. as as authors, but for me, it's just getting these stories sort of out of my head so there's room for more stories and what is it about romance that you're drawn to what do you enjoy writing about a good romance I just love romance I think it's basically because I cut my teeth on my mum's mills and boons oh yeah oh, yeah yeah you know I mean by the time <laughs> I was sort of 11 I, I was sort of reading her <laughs> mills and boons and I just I don't know what I just sort of love romance and I just feel a bit kind of cheated if there isn't kind of even if I'm reading like crime or something it's always kind of I always like hope there's a bit of romance in it like I really love Jane Case's Maeve Kerrigan series which are really great thrillers but there's this amazing kind of unresolved sexual tension between Maeve and her DI Josh Derwent that I just live for. Oh, like, you like yes. a little little bit of the spice just in the background, just a little oh bit. God, I love the spice. Yeah. And, and I just sort of think, you know, 
just all my favorite book tropes are like romantic tropes like I love a marriage of convenience yeah I love enemies to lovers which is what I'm writing now Ooh, I love good enemies to lovers oh god and even things that you know we all laugh a bit now because they have become such a cliche like there's only one bed I'm just oh one bed I'm I'm a big fantasy reader and there's nothing I love more than when they turn up a tavern there's only one bed I love it especially if they hate each other brilliant especially because also I love Regency romances yeah and just the other you know my I inherited all my mother's Georgetta Hayers and although Georgetta Hayer is very much not a spicy writer at all I do love like more kind of contemporary Regency romances and it's yeah you're turning up at an inn to break your journey there better be one bed or I'm kind yeah. of like I love a bit of a swooner as well that's why I love a bit of Regency I love a bit of the swooning you know the dashing men I know it doesn't you know feminists might say we're moving forward but there's something about a man in you know tails or he's kitted out in his outfit come into a ball or something sweep me I want to be swept yeah and I think there's just a real sort of intensity of emotion in in romances but there's also something quite comforting about them I mean people that don't read you know rom-coms or romances they're like oh they're so formulaic but I think you could say that about crime you know and I just thought Yes, you kind of want your happy ever after, but the, the ways of getting to that happy ever after are like myriad, and you can still be yeah. sort of surprised. You know, you can still have a bit that makes you cry. You can just sort of love the banter between the he- hero and heroine. You can have twists, but I just think, especially kind of, you know, how we're sort of living now, where the world yeah. feels kind of a bit like a scary, sad place. There's just something very comforting that sort of knowing that sort of, you know, good good things can happen and that yeah. it's going to sort of end on a high note. And I think, you know, speaking of books that are formulaic, there's a comfort in that. And like you say, things are so uncertain and up in the air and it seems like every time you turn, something's going on and there's something really comforting about reading something where you know the good's going to happen in the end. Yeah, I mean, when I first started writing... Um, particularly my adult novels and I was trying to be a bit tricky and a bit edgy and I'd give them a happy ending but it was kind of almost a bit begrudging (laughs) and then I read this Marion Keyes interview I love Marion Keyes and she's just such a great sort of inspiration to me but she just said it's just so rude not to give people a happy ending yeah I just thought Marion you are completely right as ever a man of her dreams, you've spoken a little bit about being a daydreamer. Where did this story come from for you? Weirdly, you know, this idea, I just had it on a back burner for like years. It was wow. very, very vaguely based on this James Stewart film called Harvey, where James Stewart's character sees this six foot white rabbit everywhere that he goes and and nobody else can see it. And, you know, they think he's mad. But in my head, I still believe that, you know, that Harvey is and was real. It's like when I read the Calvin and Hobbes books and Calvin is a little boy and Hobbes is his toy tiger that comes to life. Don't tell me that the tiger isn't real because I believe that. So I sort of had this idea of this woman who who just wants a boyfriend so much that she kind of manifests him into being. But I just couldn't get the story Right. And in fact, the one scene that I had didn't even make it into. Wow. Sort of because by the time sort of 
I've worked out a way to sort of do the idea. It was a completely different story, which is kind of so often what happens. Yeah. That's so it, interesting when it like it's almost evolving, isn't it? It's evolved beyond that one little scene. It's changed. Yeah, I mean, it is often like that. I mean, because I, I, when I sort of um um. I've got a book sort of brewing in my head and I do sort of think in, in scenes a lot of times. Mm. And and so with the book that I'm writing now, I had all these scenes that I was very precious about. And actually, as I start writing, even though they're in my outline, I'm just like, you know what? That is just, you know, it's not doing anything to drive the plot. You just yeah. like it because it's a bit cute, but it's not actually giving anything to the story. It's that kind of thing of killing your darlings. You just have to let them yeah. go. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of authors I've spoken to before is, you know, if you hold on to something too tightly, you're not giving it room for the story to then grow. If you're so committed to this, like, one little nugget of an idea, you need to be able to move with your story. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard lesson to learn, and I think I'm not alone in that lots of writers do this. We have to sort of cut the bits that we really like, and you yeah. put them in a special kind of, like, thing, so I can use it again. You never go back to it. You never look at that, that yeah. final game, but it's just that kind of, oh, oh, you know, I'll come back to it one day. I'll put it in something <laughs> else. And you've obviously spoken that your next, you know, that you're working on it has an Enemies to Lovers theme. Are there any other tropes you'd like to tackle? Do you know what? I would just, I would really like to write a marriage of convenience. And I've read so many regencies and historicals now. And I'm quite excited about what's happening with the genre at the moment, that there's just a lot of new writers coming up. I mean, I just finished reading this book called um, Convergence of Desire by a writer called Felicity Niven, which is very much a Regency novel, but the heroine is like neurodivergent. And it's, you know, really is, you know, it's not that case of feeling like a very modern concept is being sort of thrust where it doesn't belong. It absolutely works. So I do think that, you know, I, I would just like to, for fun, just out of contract, just write my completely bonkers marriage of convenience, Regency, Trope I'd be it's... here for that. I'm just saying, might be our contract. I'd buy that. <laughs> I'd eat that up. <laughs> but you know, actually, with the book that I'm writing now, I did actually think, what are your favourite tropes? And let's just do them. So it is enemies to lovers. It's forced proximity. It is there is only one bed. You know, all that good stuff. Oh, do you know what? And I think people who are always like, oh, it's I hate tropes. All this. You get it in everything. And I say, I love fancy. My best friend in particular, spicy fantasy is her like thing. And if there's not an enemy to lovers or a forced proximity or a love triangle or a marriage of convenience, she's been like gypped. You know, that's what we sign yeah. up for. If you picked up a romance and you don't have any of those tropes, what are you there for? And also those tropes that I really hate and that I avoid <laughs> like the plague. I cannot. Oh, tell me some. <laughs> cannot bear a surprise pregnancy. Oh. My God, yeah. just absolutely, just I don't don't want to know. So that I don't like. Um, I don't like a, a too sunshiny, sunshine and grumpy. Okay, I think it's probably because my heroines tend to be a bit flawed and spiky, and I, you know, I often get criticised for that. But I, I just sometimes I don't like a heroine that's just too Pollyanna-ish. Yeah, 
a little bit of grit. No, I agree with that. I like to read women with a bit, you know, a bit of spike to them. And you don't, I also don't want to read a love interest that's Mr. Sunshine. Uh, for me, that gives me the ick a bit. I want a bit of grump on both sides. I want a bit of friction. Yeah, although Theo in The Man of Her Dreams, he is a bit of a cinnamon roll, but he's oh. very sexy with it. Very sexy. A sexy cinnamon roll. That's how, yes. that's what it should have said on your book. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a sexy cinnamon roll, this is your book. Yes, yes. I mean, there was a scene, a spicy scene that I wrote that actually just made me blush. And when people kind of mention it, I just kind of go bright red, but you know have to put these things in so my my best friend and i are writing a book together and it has got some steam in it but we each write a pov of each right. character yeah and that's been very interesting for our friendship that we've had to write these <laughs> these sexy scenes from the the other's perspective and i'm like maybe we just take a break let's just not talk wow. to each other for like 24 hours after we've read what we've yeah, had to read i could understand that yeah <laughs> you that's do... taking friendship to new and unusual places isn't it we know each other very we can't not be friends anymore because we have too much dirt on each other we know too much <laughs> and that's the other thing people read your saucy scenes and you're like you know how much do you put in as well that must be a careful line to you know walk do you know I'm I never shy away from from a smart scene. I just, that's another thing. As I do get annoyed when I've written I've read like a, a romance and then they do they shut the bedroom door. So just sort of thing. Oh, or like fade to black at the best bit. Yeah, and you're like, what I am just, I? Inv-? Yeah. I just think you know that if if you're writing romance, that is part of yeah. romance, and it just feels a bit like a a cop out. Um, I love writing the smart. Um, and I always make sure that, you know, within every book, there's something, not something new that I haven't done, whether it's like sex on a kitchen island or, you know, um, the one that I'm writing now, something happens in a walk-in pantry, not kitchen-based kind of locations. Okay. But, um, I think also because I started writing YA and my YAs were about as fruity as I could get. My heroines were sort of 17 but when I came to write in my first adult book, Unsticky, it was just like the training wheels are off and away I go. Also, with a title like that, you've got to do something. But there was so much smut in it that I actually was made to cut out some of it. <laughs> it was just kind of, it was just constant. <laughs> oh, my God. There's nothing I love more than hearing that you had to remove something. There was too much smut. Too much smut, yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can go wrong, you know? But I, I think, think also people version. are more kind of accepting of that now, which is, I mean, that, that was 2008, but I think 15 years down the line, it is a new generation of readers. Yeah. And I think some of that is readers that grew up with fan fiction. And we all know <laughs> that, you know, the most the most bonkers deranged smart I've ever sort of read yeah. is in fan fiction. Yeah, I have a friend who was quite well known for her Twilight fan fiction and she let me read some of it and I was shocked. Yeah. Shocked. And I mean, as awful as I think Fifty Shades was, apologies to everyone who enjoyed it, I thought the writing was abysmal, but that did a lot for bringing like erotica into the mainstream, for women to be able to go and buy these books and be seen reading them without feeling embarrassed or uncomfortable that did a lot yeah and I just think sort of people are more sort of open and I think sort of people are just also kind of aware that what you might love in a book or a hero 
is one thing that doesn't necessarily sort of mean that you you like that in real life it's like that internet meme I don't know if you've seen it on like book talk and and stuff where it's like name one thing that you like in a book that you don't like in yeah. real life and the answer is just a very deadpan men yes <laughs> mine is growling if a if a male character growls in a book I'm here for it if my husband was to growl at me I'd be very concerned yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, there's just something about men that are walking red flags in books, whereas, you know, in real life, I would just be shutting that down. Yes. Right yeah. Oh, my God. Honestly, we I could talk for hours about things like this because it makes me laugh so, so much. But we should we should dive into your novel evening. So okay. I'm very excited now as to what you're going to bring. I'm expecting a fun evening. It's going to be a really fun evening. Okay, okay. So we okay. always kick things off with where we're going to go for your evening. Right. We're going to go kind of quite old school Soho, and we're going to go to this restaurant in Soho called Manzi's, which is about 50 years old, and it's a fish restaurant, but it's just really kind of Baroque and crazy. And, like, if you go to the upstairs bar, you know, kind of you get those ship's prows where it's like a sexy lady... Oh my god, yes. The four yes. posts of the bar are like mermaids in the style of like a ship's prow. And it's it's really sort of but it's also it's just one of those places that it feels like an occasion and it feels like a place where you want to get dressed up, but not so much so that you'd feel sort of really uncomfortable or out of yeah. place. It's just a real it's just a really sort of lovely place to go and it's and it's fun and it is just that hark back to kind of like the soho of like the colony rooms and yeah. those sort of that kind of thing so that's that's the venue oh nice and i like an excuse to get dressed up yeah i mean i did think about burg island um okay. which you must know because that's quite near you so i <laughs> i do know burg island i'm gonna be honest i'm a very terrible Torbayite? I don't know if that's the word. Uh, I've never read any Agatha Christie, which is probably is probably an offence, you know, that could be done by hanging in Devon because I can. I'm literally twenty minutes from her house. I've been to the the theatre where she used to sit, um, but I'm familiar with Berg Island and its inspirations. That it is, and it's this amazing, like you know, little island, and you have to get the sea tractor over yeah. if the tide's in. And it's this beautiful, like, Art Deco thing. But they do tell you you have to, like, dress like black tie for dinner. Yeah. It's just too, too much too stress. Fun. And also I want to be able to get an Uber home. So Soho it is. Very fair. Right. So we're heading to Soho. Who's the first person who's going to join us? Right. Well, it is, it's a girl dinner. It's all, Ooh, all ladies. Oh, yes. And, um, the first person who's going to join us is Harriet Vane from Dorothy L. Sayers, um, Peter Whimsey book. Oh, tell me more. Tell me about Harriet. Harriet is just a modern woman in a sort of 1930s world. So um, she's a mystery writer. She's um, an Oxford graduate, and she's part of sort of like um, a bloom, a, a group of sort of like artists in Bloomsbury. And... Just a very sort of modern sensibility. So um 
her, she she was she had had a lover and he said he didn't ever want to get married and she was like fine I'm a modern woman and then after a year he asked her to marry him and she was quite annoyed like she passed some test so um she turns him down and then he ends up murdered and um he's murdered by poison which is something that she'd put in one of her books and she oh. finds herself on trial for murder and everything looks like she's guilty then lord P peter whimsy the detective he comes in and 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 he's just like this amazing sleuth and he and um he he gets her off and she goes on to sort of have quite a notorious reputation and their paths cross over sort of several novels okay then, you know but and they just have they are just so great together but she's very much her own woman and I just think you know she'd be just such a great guest she's so urbane she's so sophisticated you know she's she writes crime novels so she's going to be sort of full of like little anecdotes yeah. and and things like that so I think that she would be a fantastic guest I love a notorious woman so this is a great guest I'm down she's gonna have some salacious secrets as well I think she's gonna she's gonna have some stories she's gonna have some stories for sure okay so Harriet's arrived she's taken her seat who's next so my next one is Bridget Jones okay okay interesting pairing <laughs> yeah I mean I do I just love I love Bridget so much I just think she is just one of the greatest comic characters just you know just silly but but kind so funny you know I'm sure that she'll managed to catch the edge of the tablecloth yeah you know, in a bag and like everything will go flying but I just think that um she, she's just a great person to have at yeah. a dinner party and she was one of the like truly relatable rom-com heroines that For women sure. could really see themselves in you know it wasn't kind of just this kind of slender ingenue kind of beautiful socialite girl or journalist or this was kind of a, a normal woman with normal family normal family problems yeah. and, and I think yeah and you know she'd start by saying oh you know I'm not doing carbs you know oh, how many calories is that and by the end she'd be like horsing down five puddings yeah she'd have some she'd have some wine she'd be laughing much too loud in the environment love it here for, okay Bridget is already chatting to Harriet. Who's coming next? The ninth person is the provincial lady from um, E.M. Delafield's Dive of Provincial Ladies. Oh, okay. She's another Devon woman. Oh, I sense a theme. Yeah, this is this. I didn't know that you were from Devon, but everything is like coming together quite nicely. So she doesn't have a name. She's just known as the provincial lady, and um. It's, it's set in the 30s and she's just this woman who lives in Devon in this sort of nice house and she's a bit of a lady of letters and her husband Robert just you know is sort of um he's like the land agent for the people in the big house and she is just again she's just such a great creation and she's just her her life is constantly on the edge of chaos. Like she's always having to go and talk to her cook and she's frightened to talk to her cook. And she's getting letters from the bank manager saying that she's overdrawn. And she's, you know, she's always sort of got a party to go to. And she's like, can I possibly wear my blue again? Or maybe I have to wear my tired black dress. 
and and so and then in the second book, a provincial lady goes to London, and this mirrors E.M. Delafield's kind of own thing. She has this big hit book, and she takes a flat in London, in in Bloomsbury. Um, so I think she would really get on with Harriet Vane. I was going to say, there's a little Bloomsbury connection there. No, and so... they're both literary ladies, and I think you know they'd have lots of sort of gossip, and I think you know they'd really sort of poke fun at sort of people that were just a bit up themselves in that world. <laughs> and you know what, Bridget is the same. I think they'd have that in common. They could all kind of poke fun at the you know the hoi polloi yes. a little bit. And then my fourth guest is Lydia Bennett okay okay I, mean, I feel like people would say lizzie bennett but i do feel that lizzie bennett could you know i love i love elizabeth bennett but she's a bit supercilious you know yeah. and i don't think that she would properly get into the spirit of things but lydia would just get blind drunk yeah she'd just be full of all the best gossip just the most kind of she would tell you she would overshare and tell you things that possibly you didn't need to know, but it would all just... 100% she's an oversharer on the wine. Absolutely. You know, she probably goes to Lou and sort of on her way back, cop off with sort of somebody at the bar, you know. Her and Bridget, I think, would get on like a house on fire, bizarrely. They would definitely go off... You know, at the yeah. end of the night to an after, you know, they'd, they'd do an after part. They'd both love a sesh, don't they? Yeah, okay. Is that all your ladies? Do you have any no, more there's coming? one more. One, okay. So, including me, to round it up to six, is Joyce from um, the Thursday Murder Club books. You are not the first. So I haven't read these books, which I know is, a, excuse the pun, but is a crime. Um, but you're not the first person to bring up Joyce. Tell me what what makes Joyce so popular as a guest? She's just great. There's, you know, on the surface, she's just sort of like a sweet old lady who bakes lovely cakes and is all a bit disingenuous. But I just, there's a real dark side to Joyce. And Richard Osman is just so, just, I mean, I think they're great books anyway. And I kind of get quite annoyed at people being sniffy about them in that idea that if something's really popular, then it has to just be a bit crap. But I think he's so great at just teasing out those hints of, of darkness, but never being sort of very kind of overt about it. She's yeah. just such a great character. But I think also at a dinner party, she would just get on with everybody. Yeah. You know? and I think also she's very sort of sensitive to kind of the mood. So if things were kind of lagging a bit, she'd think of something to say to sort of bring the atmosphere up. up a little bit. And I think she's a good bridge between Harriet and the provincial lady, maybe getting a bit too kind of lady of letters. And then Bridget Jones and Lydia Bennett, just absolutely kind of like. She can, she know. can do that balancing act between the two. She can keep the, keep the peace yes. a little bit. Okay, I like this. This is a nice ladies' evening. Yeah, lots of fun, nothing too heavy. Yeah, you know. good food, good drink. Yeah, posh fish and chips. Yeah, we, and also, like. that's what you actually, when you're when you're drinking, you want something like a posh fish and chips. Yeah, definitely. Um, need. You need to just carb load. Well, I do at yeah. my age. I've got to the age where my body just doesn't really have a good time processing alcohol. I think I've begun that stage. I'm 33 now, and I think my body is starting to understand it's it's not that great. So yeah, carbs, all the carbs. 
All the carbs, yes. All of them. So this is where I ask if there's anybody who's not welcome at your dinner party. It's a tough one. Well, I would actually say, you know, you know, there's that trend at the moment for those things called sad girl novels. Yep. Where they're all sort of like, you know, sort of just women on the verge, not in a fun Bridget Jones way, but they're just sort of, you know. Just on the verge. On the verge. And it's all a bit just kind of like, you know, having an affair with sort of like an older man and doing too much drugs, too much drink. I mean, that has its place, but not at this dinner party. That's It's not the vibes. It would just be a buzzkill, and we certainly wouldn't want a Mr. Collins either. No men, but especially kind of a mansplainy like Mr. Collins. Although I would love to see, you know, I would love to see Harriet Vane skewer Mr. Collins in so many delightful ways. Yeah, and the thing is, with a sad girl character, Lydia would brook none of that. She would be so offensive so early on. Oh, my God. Yeah, because also, you know, Lydia Bennett is not going to be woke. She's going to be far... I mean, I, you know, I mean, I am pro-woke because, you know, as we know, woke is just being a kind, considerate, caring person. Yeah. You know, she is just... Lydia stepped out the pages of a very different time. Very different time. She's just, you know, she's not going to be having any of that at all. And she's not going to want to learn. That's the thing with Lydia. Lydia (laughs) won't, she's not going to want to learn or change or grow. She's here to drink and maybe find a husband who's not She's here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Look, I, I love this. This is such a fun evening. I love a good girls night. And before I let you go, Sarah, enjoy the rest of your evening. I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment. my side hustle i review books for a women's magazine i know you do i'm familiar with your work (laughs) thank you so i'm i just sorted out a big pile of january 2024 proofs so i'm just about to start my new year's reading so i'm quite excited i mean there's loads of really fantastic books coming out next year but in my january pile i've got um the new one from kylie reed who wrote oh my god such a fun age and the new one is called amazing and then i've got the new sigrid nunez um okay the vulnerables and then there's a really good debut called the excitements by somebody called cj ray and it's about two sisters in their 90s who were in the soe during the war like the special operations executive Um, you know, being dropped in France, but they were also like diamond thieves and they're like going to pull off one last heist. So that sounds quite fun. So I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to sort of like my 2024 reading. How do you juggle, you know, book reviewing for a magazine, but also writing? How do you juggle that? Um, To tell you the truth, I just, I'm a really fast reader. I always have done. And so I just do my reading kind of in the evening and then during the day sort of I, I write, but I, you know, I do, I read fast. I write fast. Everything else I do very slowly. (laughs) Well, you're doing those two things fast and you're doing them well. So that's all that matters. (laughs) That is all that matters. Sarah, I've had such a lovely evening chatting with you. Thank you so, so much for joining me. I cannot wait for the man of her dreams. It's going to do great. Perfect winter readings is what we need. 
Thank you. And thank you for asking me because this has been really sort of fun to do.